Hey, welcome to Info Under the Radar, the show where we talk with an expert to simplify everyday ideas, concepts, and subjects that surround us. Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of Info Under the Radar. I'm your host Devendra, and I'm Vishwajit. Today we are covering the topic ethics and technology. Two seemingly oxymoronic issues, two seemingly opposite ends of the spectrum. One coming from the roots of philosophy, and one from the technology. A natural, organic question that may come up, which came to our mind as well, and I'm going to put it to you, Vishwajit. It is why are we even talking about it? I think one of the reasons we thought about talking it is because of recent data leaks which were happening in Facebook, or the fake news highlights which we saw. um during american election and later on in other countries happening the same that how uh, technology in this case social media in particular can be mishandled and misused so yeah. as technology continues to develop and have power to alter people's lives then yeah. questions surrounding what is ethical or not is a very valid question to ask and i think we yeah. could not have thought of a better person to talk to true agree so our guest for this episode comes from the same institute as i do which is tu munich technical university of munich his current position is he is the director of tum institute for ethics in artificial intelligence he has been on the world in an academic capacity best to our understanding while serving as a visiting professor or a visiting researcher or a researcher some of the notable universities being harvard ntu taiwan kyoto in japan so on and so forth he has a pretty diverse background but primarily this that focuses on uh, business ethics he's been working in business ethics for over two decades now and his educational background stems from the roots of philosophy apart from being an accomplished researcher he's also a prolific author of several books written in both german and english most of them revolve around the issue of business ethics because that's his core area of expertise of course but for the context of this episode if you like uh the topics that we have covered un- under the umbrella term of ethics and tech then you should definitely go and check out his latest book that was launched last year that is an introduction to ethics in robotics and artificial intelligence with that i hope that we have we have been able to cover some part of his credibilities i'll i'll pu- i have another question was there any part in general that you would like to focus some light on that we enjoyed more you enjoyed more while right. talking with him I think in general I personally always enjoy asking somewhat controversial questions and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's controversial but since mm-hmm. he is the director of Institute for Ethics in Artificial Intelligence and I know that the institute is heavily funded from none other than Facebook or now they are called Meta um I was I was very curious how does he justify uh, yeah. working in ethics in tech while getting heavily funded from a company like facebook which has been notoriously uh, yeah. been infamous for either data leaks or fake news or all kinds of things which all yeah. of us are aware about yeah because from the outside when facebook is funding for ethics that sounds pretty much like cat taking care of milk yeah so <laughs> <laughs> i would definitely say that uh, even though we put some hard questions to him around the subject uh i will have to give him credit that he was very upfront and honest how he navigates this ethical dilemma not just for himself but also for his team and you will hear more about it in our uh, conversation ahead yeah 
along with many other themes that we covered, we didn't of just course. stick around to Facebook because it's such an old school thing now. We're on Instagram anyways. No, but other than that, uh, we did talk about the idea of automation and ethics, mm-hmm. the very idea of ethics in pushing the envelope of science, like yeah. which should come first. So if this is something that you seem could be interesting to you, definitely check out the episode. All the references uh, that were mentioned during the conversation would be found in the show notes below. Other than that, let's jump into the conversation with Professor Lut. Hi, Professor Lutge. Welcome to Info Under the Radar. How are you doing? Hello, um, I'm doing very well. Hope you also. Uh, I'm looking forward to our podcast today. So before we go in like the weeds of, you know, ethics and philosophy and uh, tech and mixture of all of those, I was looking that you recently, I think like in April, you released a book. I think it's called Und die Freiheit. It's in, it's in German, I think, right? Originally, which is talking about like Corona politics and things around it and how governments are only looking from one point of view and not considering other things. So I feel like going through the list of other books which you have wrote, by the way, you have wrote a lot of them actually, I realized. Uh, this feels like more in like the direction of politics, like it's touching some sensitive matter, especially the world where we live in. How it has been for you, like from the receiving, are you getting like calls from political leaders screaming that, hey, why did you write this, that, or it has been just fun sailing? No, I mean, um, I have been working in the field of business ethics for more than 20 years Mm. and business ethics always has some sensitive issues sensitive topics Um, also for the people who are are doing it who are doing the research in this field um, unless you are are a researcher or a professor who just uh, wants to write something in their academic study and and publish in specialized journals uh, but I think that's that's not what business ethics is mainly about. It's also about going out, uh, going out in the world and talking to people about that. What like what Socrates and other philosophers right. have done. Like you have to you have to dis- discuss with uh, not just with your academic colleagues um, in, in your field, but but also with the broader public. You have to discuss mm-hmm. with politicians with with people from industry with civil society and and so on and so on and i think that's that's uh, what's what's very important for uh, for someone working in philosophy and ethics and it's the same with current uh, political affairs as well as with uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting your uh, entire education has also been in philosophy and re- you you said that you've been working in business ethics for like 20 years for now, but keeping the business part of it aside, uh, how do you structure or define ethics for your own self? How do you explain it for, to like a regular person? What does it mean to you? Yeah. I, um, so um, uh, there are, of course, philosophers have given lots of answers to this question. This is one of the fundamental questions. And often you hear um, it's about the good life, um, but what is a good life? Uh, and and what uh, and can we have can we have even similar uh, d- definitions of the good life? I'm I'm a bit skeptical uh, that 
these these very broad answers that philosophers give can be very meaningful. I mean, you have to interpret them. Certainly, then then it might it might help. Uh, but um, for me, ethics um, is um, something that is about proportionality mainly, and and especially with the recent Corona crisis, but also with when it comes to AI and others. It, it should be, uh, it is about seeing things, not just from one angle, one point of view, but in proportion with different angles, different perspectives. Um, I think that's, that's something both for the individual person to, to, uh, to consider, uh, try to see it from another uh, person's angle. Uh, try to um, integrate into your view, other views that uh, that uh, are, might also be relevant, mm -hmm. um, not not without taking taking sides. It's not necessary about taking sides. You don't have to abstract from your own interests or your preferences, uh, but but try to see it from the other's uh, point of view. And that might be the same also for for companies or other organizations. Um, they also have to take uh, into account what do, do other stakeholders often we call them. Um, how, how do they see the, what the company is doing, um, what uh, is relevant to their own interests and to the interests, maybe let's say, of, of, of uh, nature, of the environment and, and so on. So I think proportionality is, is, a quite, is quite key to an understanding of ethics. So let's say, I guess that's like the broader definition of it in your opinion. And I, I and if I understood correctly, you are also, I guess, saying you have to be empathetic towards the different point of views and, and look at try to look at it from a neutral point of view, right? Um, to some extent, yeah. I'm, I'm, so I'm not, I'm, I'm distinguishing between the sympathy and empathy. So empathy means you have to try to understand what the world looks like from the other's point of view. It doesn't mean that you have to accept the other's preferences. So, right. so you don't have to abstract from them. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's say let's let's talk about like a very basic scenario like so again I'm talking from you uh, as a Christoph as a person not the not the, the professor academic. yeah not the academic uh, but if you are in a situation you know like in a uh, let's say ethical dilemma of sorts in your day-to-day -day life like what are your guiding principles then from mm -hmm. ethics point of view um, so uh, of course, th there is always an important decision to be made when it comes to, to these principles, whether you uh, want to be a consequentialist or a deontologist. Um, that's at least the, the way this, that standard ethical theory puts it. Um, I'm trying to avoid making that decision in, decision in a too, uh, too sharp way. Um, I, would, I would consider myself a consequentialist so i believe that the consequences are what what matters um primarily i, I would say if, if and and that means if you um if it's really a dilemma situation i'm, I'm trying to uh my, my my one of my principles try to avoid those dilemma situations from arising there, there will be some uh, some uh, situations will be, which you, you can't avoid that's true but but um, the vast majority of these uh, uh these situations are in principle possible to avoid um, if you if you would uh, 
um, do uh, well certain actions in a certain way before the the very bad situations happen. But I'm saying a consequentialism should be enriched a bit with, with other deontological principles. So with, with some, for example, fun, fundamental rights, of course, we would have to talk more about what that means in this context, but fundamental rights, basic rights uh, are, of course, uh, something that you have to integrate into the other picture. And, and that's why I think, um, um, I, I would say a consequentialism enriched by some, um, by some uh, deontological principles or principles of duty, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, but that is like your, uh, your way of choosing personally on that demand. But there's also uh, the head that we ignored earlier, the academic head that you have. You have also, you have worked primarily in business ethics that doesn't work in isolation. Like you can't just publish journals and say that truly it would make a difference in the corporate domain. When it comes to ethics, have you observed that there is a significant dis difference in the way uh, corporates or business or MNCs or conglomerates define ethics and the way ethic, uh, uh, academics deal with ethics? Um... It depends. Uh, it's, it, there is not one single answer to this, I believe. Um, there are uh, some corporations uh, where owners or leading managers um, have taken a personal uh, stance when it comes to ethics and have said, well, I'm, I'm leading in, an, in a particularly ethical way. And I'm, I'm setting an, a personal example. And often ethicists say, well, this is the best way to do. But I, I, I think those examples are fine. Uh, it's, it, it's good if, if someone it says, well, I, I'm, this is, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, um, I'm making a forebuild. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm setting the, the, the standard. I'm, I'm uh, paving the way uh, here for others. Uh, but on the other hand, what I like to see more in business ethics and what I also find is important for corporations is in the, in the ordinary, um, in, under ordinary circumstances, uh, in, in, um, in, a, in an ordinary company, not a very exceptional company and, and not necessarily a company with, uh, with people who are all very good and very ethical. Yeah, but in these ordinary circumstances, then ethics has to work. And, and that's what I like to insist on. And, and, uh, and that's something that, that, at least to my experience, companies tend to understand better than preaching ethics to them, is that saying, um, this, it is, it, this is bad to your, that this will damage your business. If, if you don't pay attention to ethics in, uh, in, not, maybe not the short run always, you should also do that, of course, but, but in, in, in a slightly longer term perspective, then you will run into problems, in, into business problems. Yeah. So you, you, will, you will damage your reputation, that, that will be bad for your business. You will, um, you will have to pay uh, legal fines uh, to an extent that has completely changed in the past 20 years, for example. Um, and that's all will also damage your business. So um, 
for me, and, and, and as I said, this is what I find that companies also understand better um, is, is to frame ethics in terms of, of, uh, of economics, of an economic perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's I, not, that doesn't have to be a contradiction to a traditional ethics perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I find is that a number of, of other scholars uh, see this as a contradiction. So there's ethics and here is uh, economics you know, and, mm-hmm. and, or, or business uh, and, and or making profits. But I, I, I wouldn't see this necessarily as, as, a, as a conflict. And, and um, of course, um, it can be a conflict, yes. Um, but um, there are often there are ways of, of finding or coming to win-win solutions for both sides. It won't always work. Yes, I, I, would, I would concede that. But um, first, we should try to, to find solutions that, uh, are, uh, that are acceptable or that can work for, for both sides or all sides involved. I mean, it's interesting uh, what you said that, right? Like it should not be like, uh, on uh, you don't believe that it uh, that they conflict and some people believe like in the ethics community I should say that they conflict uh, in my personal opinion it is conflicting a lot especially when it comes to tech industry uh, many times why because it's a very fast-paced industry right so it's a lot of constant iteration lot of changes happening like companies are becoming billion dollar like literally in matter of two years three years which is not happening in traditional industries for example right so if you are an auto manufacturer you can't let's say uh, make changes in your car uh, or your engine so fast like a software team can make and a lot of times working in tech myself I have observed that at times it's like the speed of development or, or speed of going to the market is so become so critical that all these ethical things have been put on the side. And it and I could be wrong, but at least that's what I'm observing a lot also in the current social media companies. So how do you justify that? Or, or do you still see this, uh, I should say maybe the optimist side of you, does it still see that working in collaboration or do you think it's, especially in case of tech, they are going further apart. Um, so um, speaking for AI industries or, or companies that are working with uh, on, on AI, mm-hmm. um, there I, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic. And, and my experience, especially during the last, say, two years, has been that those, those companies uh, are recognizing and much faster than those in the traditional industries that ethics matters to, to, mm-hmm. to them. Um, they, it, it's, it's maybe not, not the same, not, not always the same ethical questions uh, as the ones that we have uh, had before, but, but in, in developing AI, companies find that, that uh, a lot of uh, problems they run into are not so much uh, uh, technical or not just mere technical problems, but the, the, those are ethical problems in, in, the, in a wider sense. Uh, problems that, that um, sh- should we program the, the, the system in this or that way? Where should the car go if, if, if a critical situation arises? Sh- how should, should it be programmed? Um, it doesn't always. It doesn't have to be these famous trolley dilemmas, but even in, in much smaller scale uh, uh, situations, how close should a car, uh, an autonomous car, be allowed to get to uh, a bicycle or a truck, uh, and, and so on? And there are lots of questions 
there is no technical solution, no mere technical solution to this. But it's it's a question of uh, discussing this with others that that have experience, for example, in ethics uh, uh, or other social sciences, and and then you have to uh, uh, you have to come to uh, yeah uh, maybe a compromise as a solution and. Uh, um, that's interesting. Not, so not just from a, from an overarching view from from a company, but also in the development teams, you will you, there are these questions of ethics need to be discussed. Um, and as I said, even I think that's happening much faster than with traditional industries, where exactly uh, where where indeed uh, processes cannot be changed very fast, but only only in, yeah very in, in a longer term perspective. Mm -hmm. Whereas in AI, well, you can change the program programming from uh, today to tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I'm of course I, I I would agree that there are other there, there are other branches of the industry where it, it might be um, it might be more critical. Uh, I agree, but when it comes to AI, at least I, there I'm quite optimistic. And the rise of AI ethics in the past two to three years. Um, with um, uh, companies setting up uh, in large AI ethics departments, I think this gives uh, um, gives occasion to uh, optimism. Mm -hmm. You mentioned one thing that these companies these these are increasingly thinking about ethics. Uh, this brings me to like think about one more thing. You said in the past two or three years, you are the head of Institute of Ethics and AI for Tom, which was funded by Facebook might not be the company which is considered most ethical. Now, one idea could be that maybe internally they are thinking of ethics and media paints them differently, which I would slightly disagree with. Or the other place could be that they there were certain things that were unethical at their end, and now they are just trying to create a blanket in order to paint their image nicely. So. In, from a person who has been working in ethics and seeing it for over two decades, doesn't it seem like a contrast that Facebook is like uh, kind of spon not sponsoring, but uh, giving away huge sums of money to uh, something like Institute of Ethics and Artificial Intelligence? Yeah, that's a, that's a very important question, and uh, of course, when when we uh, set up this institute and it was opened in uh, in October 2019, uh, I also asked myself that question, of course. Um, and for me, it has always been clear: um, if we um, accept this money, then it has to be without any obligation. Uh, so no obligation towards uh, what you can do, uh, what what kind of research you can fund with that money, and Facebook cannot own uh, any uh, any IP rights, for example, and cannot have any any say in in what what we are doing here, and and that's what has happened. So we are uh, totally free in in doing research on whatever aspect of AI ethics we we chose to do, and uh, as you will see on our on our website with the eight uh, research clusters that we have created so far and the research groups who are working under, within these uh, clusters. Um, there are lots of, uh, uh, lots of topics covered in all sorts of areas of, of AI ethics. So it is clear this is not, not something that is um, working for Facebook or, or doing, doing this work in a, in a way that is 
pro-Facebook. Um, actually, we have some uh, quite critical, Facebook-critical researchers in our, in our institute too. Um, and I would also like to uh, highlight that uh, the, so uh, Facebook is one of our, face, uh, of our funding partners, but we also have, have others. Mm-hmm. And maybe last point, this is also on the hand, on the other hand something that gives us more freedom than than just having to rely on on for example uh, government money exclusively um, since um, what I observe from from other institutions um, either you have money from some other source then you are more flexible or you are very inflexible about the way uh, that you do research and especially with such a fast, evolving field like AI ethics, you have to be quite flexible, especially at the, at the start. And, and that's what uh, this funding allows us to be. But what do you what do you think is Facebook, for example, getting out of it? Uh, just, the, you know, like a good picture on media or are you providing them like a certain research which they are interested in, but you said you are not doing anything, you are doing whatever you want, right? So what is in for them, let's say? No, but we are, of course, talking to them on their mm. researchers. So, of course, mm. Facebook, one of the AI research uh, companies in the world. And, and, uh, and this uh, interaction with them, so both our researchers are interested in talking to, to their, to, to their uh, AI researchers, uh, as well as vice versa. So um, they are also interested in, in hearing the ethical, uh, about the ethical aspects of AI and maybe things they have not yet considered. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, it's this is the, the, so these interactions do happen and um, and and so that's that's certainly a very valuable um, uh, aspect. Um, one thing is clear: if you can't do ethics in-house, mm-hmm. in whatever company you are, if you just do uh, you set up an ethics department and that's working within your company and that fixes the ethics stuff, mm-hmm. it's not not going to work. It's, yeah. This is no credible credibility at all, right. and and so you have you only can do this in partnership with an independent academic partner. Mm-hmm. Just one last question on the Facebook thing, and then I promise we will move on. I mean, so removing like what academia requires unfortunately it works a lot on external funding as you said because there are a lot of institutions a lot of good researchers are massively underfunded across the world right so i totally understand that point but on the other hand especially with a company like facebook which is causing a lot of troubles in dis- different part of worlds for example in uh, in myanmar they were having a lot of issues there is always a lot of uh, issues even happen in US elections, for example, because of misinformation, all those things, but at least people were not dying. But for example, men where people were literally dying because of things were going on in Facebook. So that kind of is like, even a five year old will say, ah, that's an unethical company. So how do you justify that yourself and the researchers and the team for themselves that yeah, okay, from the, the point of view of, of our research, we are all independent, and that's all well and good. But then how do you justify your own conscience about that? Yeah, I mean, um, there are a lot of companies uh, in the world that have done wrong <clears throat> at some point and maybe continue to doing so. so. Um, the question is, what, what do you do then? Um, and and how, should we say, well, those are not allowed to give any funding to any research institute? And those are not allowed to uh, to improve, uh, maybe. 
Um, especially when it comes to ethics, I think what's important is to, to keep the discussion going. Uh, we have, um, in, in Germany, we also have had uh, big companies who have run into scandals in, in the last 10 or 15 years. And um, in, I, would, I would say in general, there has been some improvement over time, but only if, if they, they were open about it. I mean, they have to be open if they are totally closed about their, um, their issues, then it's not going to work. Uh, but they have to be open to to the to civil society and to the academic discussion about it, and and then um, I think that's that's what ethics is about. Also, I, I consider this institute as a, a platform, a platform for for having um, a, disc a discussion and a debates between industry, between civil society, academia, and and politics. Um, something that cannot be done credibility from a very credible point of view from, from a company perspective. So, so that's why I think, so I, I would justify the Institute in this way. So we, we are doing this, we are providing the platform for doing this discussion. Yes, we are using funding from various sources, but one of them is also, the, it's also company money from these companies. Um, and and from others as well, and and then we have, but we then we have to come to get together and and see if we can make progress in these discussions. Yeah, I mean we were pushing a lot <laughs> on this, but no, I I totally agree with you that we need to have a platform where even the two distant things can come and talk together. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, talking about AI industry in in general that that we mentioned about. Um, in general, that is one of the topics that I would say to someone outside the field is somewhat misunderstood even to this day, fortunately or unfortunately so. There's, there's a concept within, within that idea that there are various elements of it. One of the most that is common and people see are being afraid of now is uh, autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to ethics, one of the questions could be that it's going to take away a lot of jobs. And one very popular argument is that many industries in the past have taken a lot of jobs. But then knowing that and knowing the history, is it even ethical to make something called as a auto fully autonomous vehicle? Um, well, I mean, with, with uh, relation to autonomous vehicles, there, there are a number of ethical questions associated, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, but I would say the question of, of replacing human beings uh, or, or human work, I think that's, that's one of the, in this context, I would say it's the, one of the least important ones. Uh, and and I, would, I would like to argue for this by saying, well, uh, first, um, all past technological waves have replaced human labor. I mean, it, it, at some point we had, we had, um, uh, we had, of course, uh, things that you did by hand in, in factories, and then you replaced them people with machines. Then you had computers replacing uh, um, other people working in the office, and and so on. So many, many, many examples of that. Mm -hmm. In terms of autonomous vehicles, it, it's, I think it's it's far from clear. Um, uh, I remember when I when I started to work on this topic around maybe four, no, five, five years ago, um, then people said, oh, in some years, we won't have uh, taxi drivers anymore. We won't have <laughs> truck drivers. Right. I mean, we have not uh, made any, it, it hasn't made any change. We have not yet made, not even made much progress in this direction. And, and, and even if we, and, and we I think we will at some point have uh, 
relatively autonomous, fully, whatever that means, autonomous vehicles, but we won't totally reprise, for example, truck drivers. You will still have some person sitting there, but doing other things, uh, doing communicating with your customers, uh, doing logistics. I, I don't think we will have fully autonomous, uh, these really big trucks uh, all over the countryside. And uh, I, in, if it's only for aspects of security uh, or safety, uh, safety, I think we will, we will not replace many jobs. If companies are only looking towards AI in terms of replacing human labor, I think I mean, in some some fields, it, it will work certainly, and it does already. But in in, in others, it, it is not. It, it that is not the case. That's not the business case. Replacing human labor, it is other things. It's rather. I want to really argue for the collaboration between man and machine. That 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 will be at least for the next decades will be the the, the most important question and how to organize that. I'm playing the devil's advocate here. I study and work in the same field, but just in order to understand it better. You say that it's never the business case to replace humans. First of all, there is slight argument against that because machines are cheaper than uh, good skilled labor. Uh, and in general too, uh, they are more fault tolerant. And whatever be, may be the reason or the comparison be, at the end of the day, if a low skilled workers or a skilled worker is replaced by a machine as a consequence, even if it was not a business case. At the end of the day, we just did what was done in the past. Now, one thing, one argument that you propose is that many industries have replaced humans in the past. Possibly some of them might would have been necessary at that point of time. This is why the question comes that do we really need something that is fully autonomous? And by fully autonomous, I know that fully autonomous thing is right now a thing in the future, maybe not in a decade, maybe not in two. But it, it going by the speed, it could or it might, or there's a good possibility that it would happen in a couple of decades. And the consequence of that would be that all these truck drivers and cab drivers would be replaced. Now, this was never, this is never going to be the business case, but it's going to be the consequence. So going in that direction. Would, 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 is it still ethical to continue research in this domain? Yeah, but, but, well, if not, then then we shouldn't have developed cars, for example, at all. <laughs> um, uh, so, no, I, I, I would I would agree, as I said, that there are some fields where it will make a difference. I mean, with the low-skilled workers that you are talking about, I mean, those have, maybe not everywhere, but but those have long been replaced already by by. Uh, by uh, machinery of, of other sorts. So there we don't even need AI, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But we have, I mean, there are some fields, yes, uh, where it, it will make a, a new difference. Let's say, for example, when it comes to um, uh, banking and, and finance and insurance companies, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and assessing, for example, assessing credit risks, uh, um, analysts, um, um, uh, hedge fund managers, for example, there's, uh, there will be, this is a, a, a labor of, of a new uh, skill, skill level that, that will not fully be replaced, but there will be less of, of it. Uh, in, right. in, now that that I agree, uh, but those are not the, the typical low skilled workers. I would say, and and those people who are working, but but yes, some people will have to shift their their direction in their their work. Yeah, so that that's that's why I mean. But but in other fields, uh, for example, when it comes to health, um, we are far from. Uh, 
AI making a huge impact on labor in health. Uh, certainly, um, um, we are developing, have already developed, and so some of these systems are already uh, in operation uh, that are assisting doctors, nurses, and whatever in, in treating, treating patients, treating diseases, uh, doing surgery to some extent already. Uh, but I mean, this might at some point become fully autonomous, but we are, we are very far from it, I would say. Um, one, one field that might, yes, and in some countries already is, is making a difference is, is the, the care robots. Yes, that, that is true, but we, we are lacking. I mean, at least here in, in Germany, talking about Germany and Europe in general, in other, other countries like, of course, Japan and so on, we are lacking uh, uh, skilled labor, uh, human labor in, these, uh, in, in this field. So um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's quite, quite good to have uh, robots taking uh, care of at least some, some of the functions that are, that are necessary. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it will amuse Devendra what I'm going to say, but um, I just feel like the thing is there is a lot of fear of AI coming from like people sitting at quote unquote on top, people like Elon Musk, for example, right? He's involved with open AI, he's involved with so many things and he's more of a celebrity at this point, right? So even like your taxi driver is maybe following him on Twitter or whatever, he's, his hands are all over the place. So like people don't listen to maybe necessarily a professor talking about it, but they listen to Elon Musk going on Joe Rogan or whatever podcast he go and like saying, oh, AI will gonna kill us. And he's really freaking out about it. You know, what do you tell, let's say a regular person to like calm them down? Do you just tell them, hey, don't listen to Elon Musk? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, I think some, some slightly stupid <laughs> statements have been made in the past years about, about AI. I think that statement is already, it has been a few years already uh, um, since he made that. Um, so um, I, I would I would say uh, to those people, well, look at at, at least uh, some of the systems that you already know. Are they really um, uh, threatening your 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 life, or do you see that do you see them as as a fundamental threat? I mean, even evolving in that direction, I don't I don't see that. I, I don't think my my those systems in my my smartphone uh, can evolve in that direction. Um, um, I, I would sorry to cut you off, but I I feel like for a regular person who is outside, let's say our bubble, right? Like we are all in a situation we are constantly interacting with gadgets, academics, intellectual people, but that's not true, you know, for maybe a nurse or, or, a, or a truck driver, whatever. So I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think this can justify or they can even relate to this statement, what you are saying. But, but I mean, you, I would say, please give me one example. Please give me a concrete example of a system that is really, uh, um, that could evolve into such a fundamental threat as, as Elon Musk is saying. And unless you don't show me a concrete example, then I don't believe in it. Uh, and and uh, of course, I'm, I would say yes. There are there are problems with AI. Like for example, you are worried about surveillance issues. Yes, I, I would agree that, and especially after the Corona crisis, this is something I would I would see as as a as a threat of, mm -hmm. of people uh, being surveyed 
uh, on by by whatever. I mean, not necessarily the AI, but mm. other people uh, by mm -hmm. governments, by whatever international organizations, and so on. Um, and uh, again, I think that the threat, what they see here, is that comes from other people. But is it really a threat that comes from the technology? Say, um, th th that's why I, I think this. In what Elon Musk was saying, and I think uh, what was the Stephen Hawking made this point also before he died, which is also some years ago already, mm -hmm. that AI can can become this uh, kind of technology that will uh, wipe out mankind, and so. Uh, these are two general statements. You can come up with these statements anytime. And you, of, of course, people that invokes pictures like the Terminator and, and Matrix and, and so on. But those are science fiction scenarios. We, mm -hmm. if, unless you show me a concrete example of one uh, technology that is really on the way there, then, then I, I don't see any connection. My, my question to that is that science fiction and the pictures of Terminator have been there in Hollywood and people have been seeing it for over five decades uh, in different various shapes and form. Even aliens are a part of science fictions, but they are far less believable than AI wiping us all out. Why do you think that uh, AI in general is demonized in a way that, is, that has become so much believable? It can't be just blamed upon one person. Like, Musk tweeted it, but one person could be ignored. I believe that it's inherent fear in people that makes them believe when they see something as, as a consequence of their confirmation bias, possibly. So why do you think this fear for AI is so believable? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would say yeah, um, it's true. There, there is... There is a certain skepticism towards uh, AI. It's uh, it depends on uh, I mean according to to polls that we see it, it varies from country to country. Um, uh, Germans tend to be uh, more skeptical than others about AI. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Although there are also uh, other polls that contradict that, um, but it might be uh, so. Yes, AI, although in, in theory it has been around as as a as a technology for a while but only in, in the last couple of years it has has become visible to so many people in a very yeah very fast way um and um uh, I, I think one one aspect certainly that people are worried about is this black box character of ai uh, mm -hmm. even if it's a real one or a perceived one but um people are worried about they don't know what exactly the system is doing and of course many people don't even know what what they don't know yeah unknown unknown so um but um that's that's something uh, that ethics should take on as a challenge and of course we have this principle of explainability or explicability which is in, in the number of ai ethics guidelines which tries to do work on it also here at tum we have researchers in computer science who have their their own uh, um, uh, field uh, uh, explainability or xai they are working on i think that this is this is a very valuable um, thing in order to to uh, improve um, the uh, the trustworthiness of AI. This is something we haven't talked about yet. I think we, without the necessary without without trust, if people will not trust. If users don't trust the system, they will just not use it. And 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 I think that's very important to um, to have ethical guidelines that can improve this this trust in the systems. Yeah. 
I guess uh, just to on your point when you said right like the, the why there is more fear of mm-hmm. AI than let's say Terminator or aliens or mm-hmm. whatever I feel like this is just my feeling I feel like there was also fear when you know few years ago when e-commerce started picking up for online transactions people were like ah I don't trust it why would I put my credit card information right I feel like it's like when we don't know what is happening behind the scenes Mm -hmm. like with alien or terminator you see what is there in front like but like you can't visualize code even like Mm -hmm. programmers can't really do that a lot of times and I feel like that is made that makes it even more fearful of the fear of unknown I guess mm, could be possibly um, you you mentioned one more thing which is about developing trustworthiness for AI now there's an example that you quote in your own book uh, ethics and AI for robotics about the compass system a legal system that had a bias uh, against African-American people in the state of Florida if I remember correctly there has also been research in the past where an autonomous driving system there particularly their perception system, was not able to categorize African-American people or Black people as uh, as pedestrians or persons on the road. They were not able to draw boxes around them or they were not able to identify. While it was perfectly identifying other people. Mm-hmm. When, it, when it comes to trustworthiness then, uh, aren't these notions challenging the very idea uh, behind these things then? I mean, bias in, in systems is, is a huge problem. And, and mm-hmm. it's, some, it's a problem that's not always easily uh, be uh, solved. Um, uh, we, we are currently starting a new project, or we have started it now on, on facial recognition and, and, and those problems with, associated with it. And that includes the, the possible bias. Um, I mean, um, one, one of the key challenges, I think, will at least for the next time and probably longer will will be to see how we can still use those systems with and and uh without so not doing away with them totally because they have a bias um even if we can't avoid it totally then we have to mitigate the, somehow the, the the results and we have to uh, interpret the results in the correct way i mean one one important point about it is the the data the training data that you use uh, it's it's even more important than than the, the code sometimes you will say well ai where's the problem about ethics of ai you just um, make your code transparent you know, with this with, with machine learning that doesn't doesn't give you very much uh, mm-hmm. so you don't know what the, what the code does uh, it depends on the training data that you use and I th- and that, that's one of the issues that I like to point out uh, when it when I'm talking to companies or, or other organizations is about um, uh, pay attention to the data that you use and pay attention to that to the question whether you have sufficient diversity uh, in, in terms of well different aspects in in the in the training data that you use um, and that's something that with some of the cases we have seen in the past was just not the case. Uh, it, it, we had, uh, we, well, those people working, the, the AI people working on the technology were just using the data they had. And, and th- that certainly was biased. Uh, and, and now you will have to see how, where do you get more uh, pluralistic data from? Where do you get uh, additional, even and maybe, um, uh, constructed data from artificial data from in order to train your system in a way that's less biased or hopefully totally unbiased yeah. mm-hmm. I mean this point of data being used in AI uh, 
takes me to my next question, which is like AI inheritedly needs a lot of data, right? To give us all the things. I mean, like look at the current applications of AI, like from the Facebook feed or Twitter, like from social media to many other applications where AI is already used. So for instance, I use Google Photos a lot and they use a lot of AI to give you reminder from past and a lot of other things, right? But they need access to a lot of my private photos, which I might not even share with, even with my closest friends, right? So I was thinking that inheritedly AI needs a lot of data. So on the one hand, as a consumer, we like the features which we get, but then on the other hand, we don't want to give all these data. So is it practically even possible to have all these features without giving all these personal and super private data? Yeah, that's that's a dilemma to some extent. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, we are very we are many people on the planet, and and so uh, there is usually there will be a lot of data available, uh, even if you don't give yours. But but it's it's true. It's 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 particularly a problem for for some countries which are very restrictive about. Uh, uh, about data privacy and and uh, I mean I'm thinking of Germany for example. <laughs> the problem yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and German companies are now relying on data from let's say from China or maybe US and and to to train their systems and I think that is is something that can be used for the moment but I think that this is not not a, uh, not a solution in the long run uh, there we, we will also need to see for example when it comes to health data you will need health data from from the population in the country yeah. um, and uh, I, I have been working a couple of years ago already bef before AI on on uh, uh, making use of patient data in 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 the EU uh, and and uh, outside of UK, where it is possible, but it, it was actually we we we, we try to find find ethical uh, guidelines for making use of those patient data, but eventually it was not possible. So mm. we, we couldn't find a solution which which was uh, maybe lawful or which was not just lawful but also acceptable. We couldn't find we couldn't arrive at a solution. Um, and maybe there have been uh, there has been progress in the past, but I'm not totally aware of it <laughs> so i think that yes that that is a problem we need um we need to somehow give data this is in our own interest if we want unbiased systems uh what what was the biggest challenge which you found why was it not working why were you not able to form this eu-wide guideline it was well basically the um the the restrictions on uh on using on on anonymizing or or pseudonymize uh, yeah. the data patient data uh, in in the EU outside UK was too yeah it was it was too tight the restrictions were were too tight uh, um, and uh, maybe I mean this was even before uh, GDPR came so um, mm -hmm. uh, general data protection regulation so maybe and I think the, I don't think the GDPR made this easier I um, I think it's, it's good to have the GDPR but we also have to maybe work on some ways of making it less restrictive or allowing at least for for certain things for certain ways of data to be used uh, otherwise we will we will especially in Europe we will run into problems. Mm -hmm. 
for the problem of data that you mentioned, like I should just mention at this point that, yeah, of course we are considering that there is there has been research in synthetic data and we are aware of it, but so far the results have been not so promising in most cases so far. Um, the, the early thing that you mentioned, which was that the bias in a system in general is a known problem. And it's, it's, it's a pretty difficult problem and has been admitted by people who have practically created this field of deep learning, like Professor Lekun, uh, in one of being one of them. My question then comes to the fact that when it comes to being unbiased or being fair, do we put more expectations in general on AI systems than we expect out of a regular humans? And I'm sorry for plagiarizing. I know that you have raised the same question in your book as well, but I just wanted to have your own opinion on, on that as well. As you mean the question whether we are putting yeah. too much uh, expectations uh, on AI systems as of being fair and unbiased as compared to what we would out of a regular human? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's it's important to to raise that that question because um, uh, indeed I think we, sometimes we are asking uh, too much from a system, um, although um, I mean. When I was doing work on, on ethics of autonomous driving, and I was a member of this German ethics committee for autonomous driving, uh, we said that, well, the minimum uh, standard should be that the uh, AI is as good as the as a human driver. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, otherwise it makes no sense to use the AI. And I, I would say this the same, of course, um, holds uh, when it comes to fairness standards. Uh, but of course, you first have to admit that there is a problem with fairness of human beings. Human beings have lots of biases. Uh, and uh, we recently had a project in the field of uh, HR, uh, HR and hiring people. And of course, hiring people is it's a very subjective process. Uh, right. There are lots of subjective factors that come into play. Um, and, and there... Um, with all, all the flaws that AI systems certainly have or may have. And I, I think I'm here, I'm, I'm being quite optimistic. I think that they will really um, improve the process of, of hiring. Uh, so you, you won't, you won't uh, make, um, uh, you won't allow the system to hire a person in the end, but, but for, for example, the first rounds of, of uh, hearing people of, of um, assessing people there there's there are lots of uh, candidates that just don't make it past the first or maybe second round and that there i think the ai can be and, and that is due often due to due uh, unfair um yeah mm -hmm. to, due to biases by by people actually mm -hmm. um so yes uh I, I i think we have to take this into account and we we have to uh, we have to admit that people can be quite biased yeah, I think especially in tech, it, it happens even with gender a lot. Mm. Like for females, there is a significant different bar for a guy. And there is already a bias, especially if, if that person is a developer. Uh, and I've seen that closely myself. Uh, so actually, so far, we have talked a lot about like ethics. So in the beginning, from your personal point of view, and then like at the organizational level, even somewhat at government level. I think one part which we have not touched, which personally interests me a lot is political aspects of it. Meaning like how politics is getting affected by AI uh, and technology in general, I should say. So my, my first question on that would be, 
someone like you who is working in ethics in AI, are you also working with, for example, politicians or political organization to make these people like politicians aware about how these things work in itself? Because I feel like there is a lot of fear going to be created in coming elections all across the world in coming decades where they will not really understand it because politicians are known to do that. And then they will just go and, and you know, loudly say, oh, I'm against autonomous vehicles. So AI can become political like coronavirus became, especially in US and not just in US and many other places, even masks became political. So I have a fear that AI has a big potential of becoming that force. So how do you see that future going ahead, especially being in the position you are? Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's also a very, very important question. Um, <clears throat> as I said, for example, I have been involved in this ethics committee for autonomous driving, which was with the German transport ministry a couple of years ago. And, and, and there, much of it was also about, well, giving advice to, to politicians um, how to communicate actually the, the AI um, uh, well transition process or, or uh, the 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 yeah the, the technology technological development as well as the ethical uh, aspects of it. Um, how mm. do you how do you communicate it, and and how do you uh, hopefully avoid raising those those fears for over time? I mean, I, I agree with you that political uh, it will be on the political agenda probably of some political actors to um, to invoke those those fears and and to create this uh, sphere of AI. Uh, but it, it also will be in the interest of others to um, to um, um, set a, a counterpart and, and to develop uh, uh, trustworthy AI. Um, I, I think it, it the politics and, and I have also experienced that, for example, I did um, I did um, political consulting in, in, for the Canadian Transport Authority and for Singapore Economic Development Board, uh, as well as for the European Parliament. And they are all, I mean, recognized over time that, that well, trustworthiness, ethics, uh, responsibility is something if you, if you manage to, uh, to integrate this into AI, that then it becomes uh, better as a, as a political topic. Then it mm -hmm. becomes better to, so it becomes more positive. Uh, politicians are always very afraid of, of something that is, yeah, it's just invoking those fears or just sounding never negative. We have had that with some technologies in the past. Um, and um, it seems that with AI, I think we are on a better track. Uh, of course, we will have, we will see how this goes in the yeah. next year. But uh, I think in general, uh, it, it could be worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, so on the one hand, I'm a very technological optimist person, let's say. So I'm all in for tech most, I mean, because that's where I work, that's what I've studied, right? So there is an inherent biasness in that. But then on the other hand, if I try to think realistically, and especially after the pandemic, what I realized um, that when things are invisible, again, the fear of unknown, people who are not necessarily super thoughtful and understanding of certain dimensions, they really freak out. And if you have a 
political actor in most cases that fear can be induced to masses so take the instance of um, masks in us because the virus is invisible and to me ai is like that it will be very much invisible it's a piece of code at the end of the day so you can't really visualize it right and maybe i'm making too much stretch of analogy forgive me for that but that's how i see it because they're both invisible so to me i have a fear that it's bigger problem than we are maybe realizing of the politicization and how it will impact same with vaccines we can't see how it works we don't know if it even works for some people right we know it works right scientifically we know but for a lot of people they know ah, i don't know so you know what i mean and that's those are my fear with ai because you can't visualize it you can't touch and feel it it's true i i i think you're you're right there uh, certainly what we can see is um we can see consequences of of a system and we can see positive consequences so if if people and I think people are also realizing that some some things they they can do with with their with their smartphone, for example, uh, are are due to AI in, in a broader sense. Uh, they they realize uh, maybe in in other fields, for example, when it comes to health, I've I've seen re recent uh, polls that show that people are more positive towards AI in health than than we used to think. Uh, and and uh, there there I think we, we will very soon also even in, in Germany <laughs> see uh, a number of systems being used and and people will will see the advantages of them. Um, people are also uh, less critical than I thought about even in Germany towards care robots and 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 often so even elderly people regard them for for certain functions of, of their of their life as as very valuable, mm -hmm. and so they they need to I mean they need to have positive experiences with those. Mm -hmm. Systems. Um, yeah. Then, then it, they are not invisible anymore. It's it, at least the consequences we are we are seeing them. Um, and uh, I, early on, I also talked about this explainability part, and maybe that can help to 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 visualize also something. It, it, because it, it might be, mean different things that you have to have some some screen on which you can show those right. those factors made a decision made, made an impact on the decision or the result of an ai process and so um yeah if we manage to create these uh, positive experiences i think then then there will be less room for those fears yeah and i think i mean as you said right there has been like especially with elderly folks being more open about it i was also involved in a project here um, mm -hmm. And we were trying to create like Alexa skills for elderly people, for example, and they, they don't feel alone that much, you know, even it's a robotic voice, but they feel there is someone or there is some presence and they actually really liked it, especially, you know, uh, the echoes which has a screen in them because then they can even see it. So yeah, I can, I can totally see what you mean. Yeah. And one, one, one theme that I get from your answers in general is that ethics could be the driver which could help people develop trust in AI because ethics are more understandable than for, for people outside tech as well, because these are these are conveyed in a regular English language or regular language that could be spoken by the masses. Tech, on the other hand, you need to have some sort of background or education in it. What, what, what sort of confuses me at one point is that, yeah, of course, ethics in tech or ethics in general are important. But then there's sometimes there's, these are these becomes competing forces in the terms of whether should one be focusing on ethics and give a slightly second stage to the speed of development of 
or pushing the envelope of science or mm -hmm. should first one be able to create something new utilizing or maximizing the potential of whatever they have at their disposal in any scientific domain and then try to regularize it using ethics and then tone it down uh i i'm not sure i understood that question correctly uh -huh. okay I'll, I'll i'll try to rephrase it slightly shortly yeah. um should one first develop the most modern cutting edge science and then uh, think okay. of ethics or should it be the other way around uh -huh. I mean, there's, there's a famous saying about ethics, I mean, about philosophy in, in general, but the philosopher Hegel said, the oh, a Minerva's owl is only flying at, at, at dusk. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so meaning that uh, philosophy comes always late. Uh, yeah. When everything has already happened, then, then philosophy comes. Uh, and here, I think it has to be different. Uh, so we have to think about um, ethical aspects of the technology already at the start, because of it will can have a huge impact if we, if we have biases, if if we have uh, all those ethical unethical problems in in the in the systems. Um, so what I like to say to companies is that you will need to have these um, skills of ethics in your development teams already at the start. Already when you, we have a, for example, a research group on autonomous driving uh, and there are researchers from, from the uh, technological side. So from our chair of auto, autonomous uh, automotive technology are working together with people here from the chair of ethics. Um, and, and in creating those systems, in creating, for example, doing a, a trajectory planning for autonomous vehicles and how close should it be allowed to get to, as I said before, to a truck or to a bike or another person, um, um, you will need to think of these, um, of these issues right at the start and not as something that uh, just happens so first you you uh, you take the oil out of the of the, the ground and then you think about the problems <laughs> that you might create and how to uh, yeah so basically what we did already with our environment right <laughs> yeah so we don't we yeah we, we can't we can't uh, afford to spend that much time without ethics uh, here on on AI technology without ethics. So and and as I said, I'm I'm optimistic about the people uh, and companies are realizing that already because uh, they they just won't get anywhere. And we we are working on we have already been working on these broad guidelines for ethics guidelines for AI. And now I think the the important challenge is to make this more concrete and, and uh, do uh, ethics for concrete systems, guidelines, but also tools and, and working together, as I said, in development teams on these, uh, on these systems. So what is this, the process that you mentioned that you're working on these guidelines of ethics and AI? So talking about these philosophical discussions is good, but that is essentially something that is subjective in nature. Tech, on the other hand, is very quantifiable more often than not. So what does this process look like once you have some sort of ideas floating around in a discussion room and then to make it into guidelines for something that is very quantifiable and like AI or tech in general rather? Mm -hmm. I mean, the ethics has to be programmed into the system, basically. So if you, mm -hmm. if you, don't, if you can't manage to program it, then, then it's not worth anything. Uh, there are some uh, people who say ethics cannot be programmed, but then, then what, what can you do then as an ethicist? I, I, I don't agree to that view. I think it is certainly possible to, to say, um, well, if the trajectory, the trajectory, should it look this way? Should it look that way? What, what should influence it? 
um, what what are the risks that we are uh, we are we find acceptable? Um, that that is not as, as um, that is not a thing that is purely subjective. I mean, it certainly is open to discussion, and we can discuss it among uh, different people with different backgrounds, with different skills. That's why also you should have di diversity in your in your development teams, of course, mm -hmm. uh, which is I think very important. Um, um, but then uh, to arrive at, at uh, something that, that looks acceptable to, to different sides, uh, to different people, um, I think that, that's, that's the challenge. And, um, and that needs to then, of course, to be, to be quantified and to be programmed into, into a system, which is absolutely possible. And then we have to evaluate it, of course. I think the, there is, you won't arrive at the perfect solution in the beginning. Uh, so even Elon Musk uh, has not yet made it to the Mars, but he, I mean, he will, I'm convinced that, that he will. Okay. He will there. <laughs> so there have been setbacks, there have been setbacks and, and we will also experience setbacks here in terms of AI ethics, certainly. Mm -hmm. and, and, we, and, and we will see accidents, we will see all sorts of problems happening, but, but we will have to learn from that and, and mm -hmm. to improve the systems. I guess the message we can take from this conversation is that Professor Lutke has a lot of faith in Elon going to Mars <laughs> in his lifetime. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I think he probably will. I also think so. Uh, but so we, we have talked a lot about like so many different dimension of things and like sort of ideated over a lot as well. I mean, and we realized we already took a lot of your time. So before we end the conversation, like uh, one thing which we did not touch upon is your love for playing piano. So like on the one hand, you have this, this, I should say day job where you are constantly thinking about the dilemmas and like uh, guidelines and writing proposals and writing books. Like you have a lot of books which at least to me from outside sounds very theoretical at times or you know can be even dry some might say so like how how does this your interest in this super creative adventure of music and piano came about uh, yes well uh, yeah thanks for bringing that up so um, I have been playing the piano since since I was a kid so a long time and um, over time, I also developed more interest in improvising. And, and I also played in a band for some time, but <laughs> oh. long years ago, many, many decades ago. Uh, I, although I would love to do that again when I have more time. Uh, hopefully not, not just when I'm retired, but earlier. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think it's, there is a connection because music allows you to see, to sometimes see connections where others don't see them. Uh, I, I think it's when well uh, putting it in philosophical terms. I, I would I would say it's 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 not just uh, for example ethics. It's not just about the ratio. Uh, it's not just about the, the mind, and, and not just about uh, what you can say with words. Music is much about something that cannot be said, or as, as famously Wittgenstein Wittgenstein put it. Uh, I think it's there are things that cannot be that cannot be put in in words in a simple way, but but music can allow you sometimes to do that, and and also can make you understood. By the way, to people who speak a totally different language, okay. um, and and so um, I think music is is a wonderful tool for connecting people, 
but also for connecting ideas and, mm -hmm. and to find um, surprising connections where others maybe don't see them. Yeah, yeah well, on that beautiful note, <laughs> I think that, that made me really happy by the way, thinking like I never thought, yeah, you are totally right. Music does work uh, wonders. So on that beautiful note, first of all, we would like to say thanks a lot for taking uh, such a big amount of time to talk about different things yeah and uh, especially thanks for like uh, spreading spilling beans on this uh, topic which is somewhat of a confused terms for most people including myself at certain points yeah and yeah it was it was thoroughly enjoyable uh, to talk to you in the entire duration that we had thank you so much once again for your time thank you very much i enjoyed it immensely it was a great pleasure